Welcome to Michael Stone's podcast, Awaken the World. This podcast is part of an online community library we're developing, one that contains podcasts, videos, transcripts and booklets based on Michael's talks. The goal of this library and this podcast is to bring mindfulness and mental health into the spotlight. Through this work, we're creating new ways to wake up through socially engaged, conscious, spiritual practice. We're creating a culture of compassion and collaboration. We've left our physical monasteries and we're bringing them online. Before we get to today's podcast, I want to take a moment to ask you to consider becoming a patron of this podcast through Patreon. Pledging is easy and can be as little as $1 per month. Just go to patreon.com forward slash Michaelstone and click on the big orange button on the top right of the page. Thank you for listening. just finished the section um, in the first chapter where Patanjali talks about the path of practice as being one that includes faith, energy, mindfulness, integration, and wisdom. And then he has these two sentences that follow. The first says, for those who seek freedom wholeheartedly Realization is near. Um, Often that's uh, translated as, for those who practice intensely, um, realization is near. How near depends on whether the practice is mild, moderate, or intense. This is sort of the last simple... Uh, set of sentences that he offers and then the rest of the chapter gets uh, extremely practice oriented Um, and when I read these two sentences what I hear is commitment and uh, in a way it's posing a question to you which is is my practice mild, moderate or intense and the way I often like to think about that is um, whether the practice is at the center of your life or is just a tangent that you do sometimes. And there are times, I think, when we first make contact with practice, it's just something we do. Like, it it may have a lot of meaning, uh, but it can be just like reading a book or um, some other hobby we might have. And... I know for me, when I first started practicing, I practiced a lot with people who were monks. And so something used to happen for me where I would just encounter somebody, and it still happens once in a while in Parkdale, uh, where you're walking and you encounter somebody with robes. And it does something. Uh, Even though in traditional cultures it's supposed to make them not stand out, in this culture they stand out. And... um, when I encounter someone with robes and a shaved head, the, what, it, what it brings up for me is commitment. What, what is this person committed to? And, um, which, of course, reflects back on what am I committed to? And it's often when I'm you know, rushing to the post office or 
Um, and, it, and it slows me down just a little bit. And in a way, I think this section does the same thing. Um, from a technical perspective, though, just to back up a little bit in terms of our practice, um, when we're meditating, we're not focusing on the part of the mind that's saying whether we're happy or whether we're depressed or whether we're anxious, that part of the mind that's deciding about the experience. Um, that's not what we're committed to. But most of the day, that's the aspect of mind, we could say small mind, that we're committed to. Is the mind that's just deciding whether I like this, or I don't like this, or it affects me, or it doesn't affect me, or it makes me happy, or it gives me pleasure, um, or it's good for those around me, or not. And when we're meditating, that's not the, the stream or the band of awareness that we're focusing on. And so, in a way, what we're doing is we're taking that part of mind and we're taking care of it. We're learning how to take care of it. Um, we're learning how to commit to it in a way where there's less identification with that stuff. And you take care of it just like you take care of a small baby. You don't let that momentum of mind uh, that tends to wander off, wander off so easily. And if there was a child that you were looking after, um, you don't let it, you know, wander too close to the river, to the pond, to the stream. And when it is, you don't sort of yank it back, or him or her back. Um, you sort of gently bring them back. You gently bring them back over and over again. And in a way, this is what we're doing with this part of the mind that is constantly committed to something outside of ourselves and constantly committed to desire. Um, and I'm talking about the kind of desire that's just endless. You know? um, we're committed to something else. And every time you bring the mind back, and you bring it back, you can start to see that awareness is not something that comes and goes. Awareness is not impermanent, really. Um, the attention span is quite impermanent. And so the content seems to come and go, and yet, what is that part of awareness that it comes back to? Because it seems that we can come back to a kind of awareness that is not really coming back to ourselves. It's coming back to something that's not ourselves. And that's why it feels so good. So, so, so the tendency in this commitment is commitment to self. And I'm talking about small mind, small self. All, this vocabulary is so rough, you know, it's hard to talk about this subtlety. And certainly the English language is very poor at describing uh, subtle psychological states. Um, some of us come back uh, through relaxation. Some of us really need to practice by learning how to relax. This is usually the first talk I give at the beginning of a retreat. I'm going to do this in a few weeks. First, for those of you who are coming, this is the first talk. Some of you need to relax in order to come to awareness. And some people really need to push through. Some people really need to be pushed. And whichever one you think you are, that's not the person you are. 
<laughs> so if you're the person who thinks they need to be pushed, you're probably the person who needs to relax. And if you're the person who feels like you just need to just lighten up and relax in order to this, you're probably the person that needs the form to push you a little bit and to wake up at 5 a.m. and get on your cushion in the snow. <laughs> I'll do some advertising. Yes. <laughs> and so this quiet part of us is really um, important and nourishing. And I think sometimes because we're so invested in just the band of awareness where we're telling the stories and making decisions about what we know and what we don't know, um, it's like false nourishment. You know, it's like briefly it feels like you've got something, but it's, you know, the wrong kind of carbohydrate or something, right? And then you have it and then you need more and you need more and you need more and you Um, I think about this in terms of writing, you know, um, sometimes for those of you who write, um, you, you're, you're writing a paragraph and you have a little idea, but you have more sentences often than you need. And so it's important to know with some quietude, with some space in the writing process, which sentences and which words you're going to use and which ones you're not. Sometimes a word shows up that you have to use. Um, and then you artificially fit it into a sentence just because that word became the focus of your attention. And yet it's <coughs> false. It doesn't actually really belong in the paragraph. Um, and over time, the, the craft of writing, I think, is having that being in touch. And I don't know if writers ever really speak like this, but in some way... You know, the art and craft of writing, and I certainly don't have this experience much, but is being in touch with where awareness is stable so that you have the ability to pick and choose which sentences, which ideas, where you're going to go now. There's enough space in the mind also in your attention span that um, you can have an idea and just kind of keep it in a corner for a little while. And you don't have to get it down right now. In the same way, uh, when you're communicating with somebody, maybe there's something you want to say, but now there's enough space where you don't blurt it out. You can just sort of keep it in the corner. It's not denial, and it's not repression or suppression, but there's enough space where, and, and less reactivity that you can just keep it in the corner and check on it later. And it doesn't have to get thrown up so fast. So some aspect of this larger mind is what's redirecting the smaller mind. So, and I think it's helpful sometimes to set up a vocabulary where there's small mind and large mind. And really to notice what you're committed to. And I, and I say that especially at this time of year because some of you are already starting to make literal commitments, right? I'm going to go to this party. I'm not going to go to that party. I'm going to hang out with this person and not with that person. And, um, 
but also just to notice that as you make these decisions and there is a little more stress and there's more stress on the streetcars and on the sidewalks and in the parking lots, um, this is the time to practice. And this is the time where it feels like it's the most difficult to practice. And this is the time you need it most. Um, I think I said this last year, last week and last year, um, <laughs> that I never like to tell people to come here and practice. I want people to come on their own, except in December. <laughs> in December, I tell people, just come, we're only here for three weeks. Come every week and practice with us. Even just, Woody Allen says, you know, half of life is just showing up. You know, just to come and put your body here. Just to put your body here. To, to stay in touch with what's important. And um, then you, you get out of this reasoning mind. You can't reason yourself out of stress. And you can't reason yourself out of loneliness. You can't reason yourself out of sadness. You can't reason yourself out of pain. And the power of awareness is that there is some other way that you can meet all of those patterns. And it's not about reasoning. It's not about deciding. It's actually not even about thinking. So reasoning can't dissolve fear. It can't dissolve the fear of death. It can't dissolve the fear you have not only of your own experience, but maybe some of you who are parents or grandparents or you have friends who are in trouble and, you ha and there's some fear that you know, they're really not going down a good path. You can't, you can't reason out of those feelings. Your thinking about them often doesn't necessarily help so much. So we ask this ordinary mind to open up to become big mind, to do something else, to open to breath, breathing, breathing, sound, sound, touch, touch, when you eat, eat, tasting, tasting. Sound, sound. Breathing, breathing. So simple. And then you get one-pointed mind. Where sound, 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 and then the self becomes a raindrop. The self becomes streetcar the self becomes that experience. You become streetcar. But not your idea that I'm meditating on street, like all of those interpretations fall away. Um, I wanted to use an example in talking about commitment because we, you know, we could talk about commitment to practice and, and I think we've done that a lot this year, but I, you know, I want to sort of keep it at the level of your meditation practice. And um, I, I was thinking about using this case, and I didn't know if I'd use it, but I'm going to use it because I wrote it down here. 
Um, it's case 33 from the Mumon Khan. So this is a, a koan traditionally used, and I'm not going to teach it as a koan because I don't teach koans. But, you know, the word koan really means a public case. And it's kind of a public uh, way of working with a paradox. And this case comes from the Mumon Khan, and it's called Neither Mine Nor Buddha. And so when, when, you hear the, when you hear the first part of the koan, don't think about it. Just hear it and see how it settles with you. Um, the koan goes like this. A monk asks Basso, what is the Buddha? Basso replied, not mind, not Buddha. Not mind, not Buddha. Uh, Mumon comments on this and says, if anyone understands what Basso said, they've mastered the practice. So what is Buddha? Not mind, not Buddha. And then he goes on to say, if you meet a sword master on the road, give him the sword. Unless you meet a poet on the road, do not offer a poem. If you meet a person, tell him three quarters of the way and never tell him the rest. If you think about this, it will just be another sort of clever, ingenious twist of language. But if you go back and just think about this in terms of what we're practicing, what is Buddha nature? What is this, not Shakyamuni, not the person, but Buddha, which is you. It's the, it's the part of awareness, it's the part of you that is free. It, again, to understand that when we say Buddha, it's not referring to a person. When you say Shakyamuni Buddha, it's referring to a person. But Buddha means you. It's that part of your nature that is already free. When you bring your mind back over and over again, it's that part of awareness that's inherently stable. And what is that? And the answer is, it's not mind. It's not, that nature is not what you think it is. <laughs> right? It's not reasoning. And then, okay, it's not reasoning, it's Buddha. And then saying, no, it's not Buddha. Because, of course, as soon as you say Buddha, you've put a word on this experience, and then you confused it because of our cultural symbol exchanges. And then Mumon says, you know, if you get that, you get the whole practice. And then comments on it and says, well, actually, if you meet a sword master on the road, give him the sword. It's beneficial to a sword master. Unless you meet a poet, and it's not someone who writes poetry, but someone who has the heart of a poet, don't give them a poem. Right? They may not speak in that language. Don't give that. Unless they're a poet, don't give them a poem. Um, this is all about taking care of mind. But if you do meet a person, you can only ever tell them three quarters of the practice because they have to figure out the rest. I can sit here at the front of this room and we play this game and I say, this is how, the, this is the nature of the mind and this is what you can do in your practice. 
but that's three quarters. And on some nights I can give a talk where you can feel that. You can feel my practice, you can feel your practice, we're in touch with something. But I can't do it for you. Right? So I can only tell you three quarters. And a few of you in this room also teach. And you know when you teach that there's some part of you, especially when someone's communicating and they're so close where you just want to bring them over the threshold. Here, just try this. But you can't. You have to leave them to find that uh, way. I get this a lot, especially when people are first coming to practice and they're people who are rebellious, you know, and they're like, I don't need all this form. I don't need the chanting and I don't have to bow and I don't, I just, all I want is just to feel better, you know. And, uh, and it's so interesting five years later, ten years later, to start watching people um, see value in the form and see that there's something there that is practiced not because it's traditional, not because it's exotic or ancient, but actually because uh, the form supports and offers a map for distinguishing the difference between reasoning mind and um, being home, finding your home, coming home. And then now you can blink, and there's just blinking, and just swallowing, and just coughing, just clearing the throat, just streetcar, as opposed to all of that top-down decision-making. So this very mind in a way, and he, this is the paradox, is Buddha, right? And then you start to see that actually the reasoning mind um, is also Buddha. That all this ordinary stuff is not a distraction. It's actually something we can open to because it's our life. And... Um, that's when the practice really gets going. And that's, what, and, that's, and that's what we become committed to, is what's showing up. Not some idea about a path that you read in a book published by Shambhala Publications, but actually the path that you're practicing. And nobody can give you the path, because it's whatever's showing up in front of you makes the path. It's almost like if you had like a big bag of cobblestones that you could carry around and you put them down in front of you as you're walking and that makes the path. And I like this case in the Muon Khan because it says, you know, what is that core? And Basso replies, you know, it's not mind, but it's also not what you think the core is. And um, it's, I, I love that. Because, you know, traditionally in religion we say, oh, well, you know, you just have faith in the core beliefs and that creates the conditions for grace, or that is grace. 
And here, uh, it's a little, a little more subtle. It's more of a negation. It's not this, it's not that. It's not what you think. Unless you meet a poet on the road, don't offer a poem. And if you meet a person, tell them three quarters of the way and never tell them the rest. Because you can't. Because you can't. So I'd like to uh, end tonight with a little partner exercise. And uh, before you roll your eyes, because usually as soon as I hear partner exercise, I am thinking about how I can sneak out. <laughs> of the room. Um, it's, it's holiday time, and it's a time that uh, we find ourselves often making commitments that are not nourishing. And the outer form of a commitment may bring up memories of being not nourishing, but it can sometimes actually flip and be quite wonderful. Um, so one of the things I'd just like you to, I'd like you to find a partner, and I just want you to talk uh, one at a time for about three or four minutes each, um, just about ways that you can find um, stillness this month. So imagine, you know, forward think about how this month is going to go and just see what you can use in your practice in a practical way to support you in the next month. So maybe this might sound like, oh, you know, I'm going away to visit my family in Nova Scotia for three weeks and um, I'm going to take my cushion. <coughs> or it might sound like, I have no idea, actually. Uh, I'm going to visit someone with nine kids under the age of nine. And, um, you know, I'm not sure what I'm, you know. So just to, just to kind of bring it into awareness um, so that we're not restless, stressed, and agitated, and angry before the events. <laughs> And just, to, just to bring it up into the surface. And, and you might have some real practical ideas that come to mind, and you might not. So how can you take, most of you in this room have been practicing at least since September together, um, some of you for many years. Um, so how can you take what we've been studying in practice and really put it to work um, so you can stay contacted with something other than just the small reasoning, storytelling agitated mind. Okay? So three or four minutes, you talk, the other person listens, and three or four minutes switch. Find a partner.